This land is your land This land is my land Welcome to the Public Lands Podcast, where we bring you information, interviews, and entertainment about your public lands and waterways. My name is Mark Peddleton, and I'll be your host today. Today's podcast is a lot shorter than normal, and as opposed to the last eight weeks, we have no guest, and that is partly because a Supreme Court case this week reminded me of one of the lost verses in Woody Guthrie's This Land is Your Land. I'll explain what I mean by that and play a version by Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings for you at the end. First, the Supreme Court case. It's Murr versus Wisconsin. The Supreme Court started hearing oral arguments last week on March 20th, or I should say this week on March 20th, um, concerning this case. And I want you to read about it yourself. It's a complex case, and I don't want to misrepresent it here in short version. But basically, the Murr family inherited land, including two adjacent parcels. They'd like to sell one of the parcels in order to finance additions to their current house, and then ostensibly somebody could build a house on the other parcel. But because this land abuts the St. Croix National National Scenic Riverway, the regulations treat it as one parcel and do not allow the family to sell it off or subdivide. Those regulations are in place to protect the river from overdevelopment. You can imagine doubling or tripling the number number and sizes of houses and it ceases, ceases to be the river that attracted the homeowners in the first place and keeps it a special place for the public visitors and reduces pollution to the river. So this case is largely about government right to stop owners from subdividing and selling off smaller and smaller parcels of land versus the property rights of owners. And I'm going to read you from two opposing sources just to show you the contrasting positions. The first one by the Pacific Legal Foundation who for free are representing um, the Wisconsin family, the Murr family. The Pacific Legal Foundation is a largely libertarian property rights organization based in the West. And I read from that uh, uh, heading. Represented by the PLF, the Murr family has fought all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court to stop bureaucrats from robbing them of a family legacy, a vacant parcel along the St. Croix River in Wisconsin that their late parents purchased in the early 1960s as a family investment. The six children of the late William Murr, a South St. Paul plumber, and his wife Dorothy want to sell the vacant parcel to fund repair of the family's cabin, which sits on a separate adjacent lot that their parents bought several years earlier. But government officials imposing regulations that weren't in place when the property was purchased have forbidden the MERS from selling or making any productive use of the vacant parcel. To avoid liability for an unconstitutional taking, officials are arbitrarily treating both lots as if they were a single unified parcel, even though the two parcels were bought by the MERS parents at different times and are legally distinct. The MERS case poses a precedent-setting question. Can government take property without compensation simply because the owners happen to also own adjacent land? Are people denied constitutional protections for their property rights if government decides they own too much property? Too much is in quotations. Now hear this from the St. Croix River Association representing the other side. The St. Croix River Association, joined by Walter F. Mondale and American Rivers, filed today an amicus brief in the U.S. Supreme Court case, Murr v. Wisconsin in support of Wisconsin. 
Lemurs challenge a 1975 zoning ordinance that restricts the development and sale of their substandard shoreline parcels on the St. Croix River. SCRA points to three facts to support its argument that the ordinance is valid. One, the federally recognized scenic, recreational, and ecological values of the river. Two, the local desire to protect the river is evidenced by the wild and scenic river designation. And three, Congress's intent that federal, state, and local action all contribute to effective protection of wild and scenic rivers. As I said, this reminded me that this battle has been going on for the entire history of the USA, and that Guthrie's song, written in 1940, could have been written in 1840 or yesterday. He wrote This Is Land Is Your Land after hearing Irving Berlin's God Bless America. You know the song God Bless America, and you can imagine that Woody Guthrie uh, found that that was more uh, about religious exceptionalism and sort of manifest destiny, and he felt that he wanted to write a song that's more grounded, a nationalism grounded in the land itself and equity. And that's what he did when he wrote This Land Is Your Land. And it's not like uh, Woody Guthrie was some sort of pacifist. And in 1940, you can imagine Irving Berlin was writing this in order to sort of uh, bring the troops together. And by that, I mean, more figuratively, everybody against the war. But Woody Guthrie went to fight in the war and he fought against fascism. But he was also vigilant and nervous about fascism here in the United States and felt the song like God Bless America contributes to that sense of nationalism that he saw as um, deleterious. And the two verses that Woody Guthrie wrote that I'm referring to here that give this land is your land its true meaning as he originally wrote it um, have largely been excised or edited out of public versions and early recordings the most of the early recordings being in the, the run up to the McCarthy period the Huac hearings, the house on um, House uh, Un-American Activities Committee. And so it's understandable why some of those that recorded, even Friends of Guthrie, edited out these verses. Less understandable is why these verses remained out until Pete Seeger, Arlo Guthrie, the son of Woody Guthrie, uh, and then later on Bruce Springsteen and others brought these verses back in. Most famously, perhaps, when Pete Seeger and Bruce Springsteen sang these verses at the inauguration, the first inauguration for Barack Obama. One verse reads, As I went walking, I saw a sign there, and on the sign it said, No trespassing. But on the other side, it didn't say nothing. That side was made for you and me. That's sort of typical Woody Guthrie um, humor in the sense that, of course, the side that doesn't have anything on it is the private property. And as somebody that wrote many, many articles for workers' magazines, uh, Woody Guthrie was somebody who didn't really believe in the concept of private property per se. Few people take that stand, I think, in the United States. Most people believe there needs to be some balance of private and public property. But on that spectrum to of very little public property and very little uh, public locations, such as parks and protected areas, versus those that believe there should be quite a bit, is where the contest typically takes place. And really, that's the contest that the Supreme Court is about. Just where does the public right uh, and the collective good and the governmental interest end and property rights begin? And how what happens when they come into conflict, including 
along the edges of a National Scenic Riverway. So to end this week's podcast, give a listen to Sharon Jones and the Dap King singing This Land is Your Land, including the missing verses. This land is your land Yo, yo.